This was the only one I could find. Mother's Day. And the reason this is significant is on Mother's Day, um, you know, the ladies kind of, we had that coffee time and, and then, the, and then the, the kids and, and the dads all went to the park. And so on Mother's Day is when we actually started these books of the Bible. Can you think about that far back? Can you think that far back? You were almost done with school, teachers. It was in the final home stretch. And now you're... Um, so Mother's Day is when we started the book of Ruth. Um, Mother's Day is, is, is the, the beginning of the series. And I always say this about these series as we kind of go back and we recap and we think about this. And I always say that experience teaches us nothing but experience with reflection um, experience kind of with that contemplation, with that review is what ends up teaching us, is what ends up really kind of forming us. It's so easy just to throw more and more information, more and more data, more and more stats, more and more knowledge, but really just to take a step back and say, hey, look, we've been in this, these books of the Bible. God, what have you been speaking to me? What have you been saying to me? What have you been, um, pre- what, like, God, what, have, what, what are your words? I, one of the things I was going to do is, you know, Microsoft Word will count how many words are in your document. I was going to add all those words up over these, you know, months of teaching. But I am interested not in all the words on my Microsoft document. I'm interested in the word that God speaks to your heart, right? That's the, the word that's important. And then to respond appropriately to that word. Um, and so I want to just spend probably the next 30 minutes, we're going to review these, these two books of the Bible Uh, And then at the end, you're just going to have your own kind of space to engage in the Lord and listen to the Lord and um, allow the Lord to to kind of minister into you, to speak into you um, for for about 15 minutes or so. So here we go. We started with the book of Ruth. Ruth, um, this 17th century poet, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, called it the loveliest complete work on a small scale ever written. It is compared to uh, the Michelangelo it is compared to the Mona Lisa. It is this beautiful book of the Bible, um, this beautiful love story. The time frame of it is kind of 1370 to uh, 1041, somewhere in that time frame. It's, it's, the, the book says when the judges ruled, right? And we're going to circle back to that in a little bit. But when the judges ruled, this, this book of judges that kind of, as the Israelites are moving into the promised land, Here's, here's kind of the map, and you can see where, where all the, the settlement was as, as, as the judges were in charge, these tribal rulers. It takes place over 12 years uh, in about these four chapters. We started studying just kind of the, the characters in this, in this narrative, in this book. We started with our, our guy, Elimelech, and, and during the famine, there's this famine in the land, and he flees Israel. Now, remember, when he leaves Israel, they understood gods to be territorial, right? So a particular god resided in a particular territory, a geographic location. Um, and so there was this kind of territory area. And then when he goes into Moab, if you go back to this map, when he goes into Moab down here, this is, again, this is kind of this enemy territory. It was, they came out of the the not ancestral, the incest relationship between Lot and his daughters. It was not the place you wanted to go, but there's this famine and Elimelech takes his family and he leaves Israel. We talked about he's in this difficult circumstance, right? He has a very difficult circumstance with, with, the, uh, with, the, with the famine. What is our posture in difficult circumstances? Lot, I mean, Elimelech took a posture from, he moves away from Yahweh, he flees the land, what would be a posture towards? What would be a posture to keep faithful towards Yahweh? 
So we looked at the different circumstances, whether work's demanding or you have a difficult child or family member, you're generally stressed or anxious, you have a financial setback, sickness or, de or, or death, and a posture from, like, you know, if work's demanding, oftentimes, oh, I just got to go in on Sunday, I got to go work on Sunday, or I got to go make these sacrifices. A posture towards maybe like, hey, I'm just going to stay faithful towards the church. Um, difficult child or family member, we jump on the phone and complain, or we, we can pray for the person. And so there was all these different kind of posture towards and from. And again, during our difficult times, what is our natural posture that we would keep? To press into Yahweh or to flee as Elimelech does? David Strain says in his book, he says, 10 long painful years went by and they were still there ensnared by a cascade of fateful and foolish decisions. How many times have we rationalized our drifting away from God's priorities in pursuit of our personal agendas? Let us beware the subtle steps by which sin ensnares us. It's the small stuff. It's the, it's the little drift. It's the posture from. It's deciding to leave Israel. It's wandering into Moab. And they're there for 10 years in enemy territory. Naomi, uh, Naomi is the wife of Elimelech. She, Elimelech dies in Moab. Um, her two sons die in Moab. She's left with these two Moabite daughter-in-laws. She tries to send them away, right? She doesn't want these daughter-in-laws. So she says, hey, just go home to your family. And then she tries to pray them away. She starts giving them blessings. Oh, bless you as you go. She tries to explain them away. She has all these rationalizations why they should leave. The, the phrase that was, um, we, we kept using was that your enemy has exactly what you need, right? Your enemy has exactly what you need. Naomi and Ruth should be enemies, but they desperately need one another. Naomi might starve if not for Ruth. Ruth would be lost if not for Naomi. Ruth ends up taking on the God of Yahweh, begins to, to live for Yahweh in Israel. What might your enemy have for you if you are willing to enlist them as in a facet of your transformation, right? The, and again, enemy, the person who you just don't like at the moment, the person who you just wish wasn't around, the person who you avoid at the office or at your workplace, right? Who is that person? What might they have for you if you are willing to enlist them in a facet of your transformation? Jesus says, pray for your enemy, right? Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Think about that. Your enemy has exactly what you need um, we got into Boaz. Boaz, um, this, this kind of pillar, First uh, Kings 7.21, there was a pillar in the, in the temple, in the Jewish temple called Boaz, right? Um, he's known as a worthy man, outstanding character, man of substance. He was honorable. And we just said, hey, let's just look at his life. What are the things that Boaz has that are, like, that are worthy to look at? Boaz praises God at work. Right? He walks into the field and his workers are there and he begins, he begins with this, like, this, this praise, this blessing from the high priest Aaron. Normally you would walk into a field and, and the typical Jewish greeting would just be a generic shalom, hello. Right? But he begins by praising God at work. We have this, this asset of Boaz. He <clears throat> protects, cares for racial, ethnic, gender outsiders. He begins to take care of this foreigner Ruth. Right? Ruth is, you know, she's a racial outsider, she's an ethnic outsider, she's a gender outsider, and he begins to protect and care for her. He, well, that's weird, he is a blessing, he doesn't just talk about it, right? So with this, he, he doesn't just, you know, say, hey, bless you, and kind of give her a generic blessing. There's water for you, my daughter, 
Let me make a meal for you. Come glean in my fields. As a matter of fact, ladies, leave some, some sheaths behind so she can glean those sheaths. He is an actual blessing. And then he speaks up for God as he begins to tell uh, and talk to Ruth about Yahweh. In the original language, he raises his voice. So he gets a little Pentecostal as he's talking about God, and he gets all excited about God. And we just looked at Boaz, and we said men and women. We'll get to the women next, right? These are, these are things that we could imitate in our lives. These are characteristics that we can look at Boaz and say, I would like to do that, to praise God at work, to protect and care for those who are outsiders, to, to be a blessing, not just talk about being a blessing, to speak up for God. So that was Boaz as a pillar, and we kind of focused on the men, and then we spent the next week focusing on the women. We had, uh, we had this character, Ruth, and there's 12 questions in the book of Ruth. The last two are, uh, who are you? Um, Boaz asks Ruth as she's on the threshing floor, who are you? And then uh, Naomi asks her as she returns, how did everything work out for you? And I kind of paraphrase those a little together. And I said, these just two real probing questions. Who are you? And how is that working out for you? A good question to think um, and meditate on as we do that interior work. Ruth is described as a woman of noble character. We just looked at Ruth and we said, okay, if this is who Ruth is, right? And this is this kind of noble character, um, and just to kind of imitate and, and, and follow some of her leads and some of what she's about. She's a hard worker. She goes into the fields and works early to late with taking minimal breaks. She has great patience. One of the big pieces in Ruth is that she, there's, there's months from her initial contact with Boaz to that kind of threshing floor moment. There's these two harvests that the Bible talks about. So she has great patience and kind of waiting um, there was a great quote by Strain in there where he talks about, it seems like everything's kind of fizzled out, right? And she's kind of left in this in-between moment. She shares, she has hospitality. Um, this word has said as she gives to her mother-in-law, as she protects and cares for her mother-in-law. She takes great faith and risk with um, faith and risk by going to Boaz on the threshing floor. And then the last thing is the respect for the elders um, she's engaged in listening to Boaz, to Naomi. We, w- one of the big things as we think about elders is I think about the folks at Brookdale, and we've talked about this. They give us the gift of perspective, right? We're given the gift of perspective from elders, from those who have kind of been a little bit farther down the line from us. And then we talked women, you know, instead of like saying, hey, go do all this stuff, be better. Um, we ended that sermon, I don't know if you all remember, but we ended that sermon and we just affirmed We just affirmed the women for already doing this. Instead of saying, hey, go try harder, go do more stuff. Ladies, you're so involved in this. And I had written affirmations for all the women in the church. And we just ended that morning by just affirming those, how we see those things in the women at this church. You guys remember that one? Um, And then lastly in the, man, we got through that book quick. Lastly in the book of Ruth, We talked about the character of Yahweh, right? Elimelech, Naomi, Boaz, Ruth, Yahweh. And in the character of Yahweh, we looked at the judges cycle. Again, remember this takes place during the cycle of the judges. The judges, as we studied this book a couple years ago, they have this cycle that they just go through. 
Israel's faithful to the Lord. They're serving the Lord. They fall into sin and adultery and by adultery, like serving other gods, idol worship. Um, they're enslaved. There's judgment by Yahweh. They're, they're um, sometimes exiled. Israel cries out to the Lord, Lord, save us, redeem us, rescue us. God would raise up this judge, this, this tribal leader, not like, again, not a judge as in a, as we would think about a legal judge, but kind of a tribal military ruler, leader. Um, and then they would deliver the people. Israel would be faithful to Yahweh again. And if you read the book of Judges, this happens about 470 times. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it just goes again and again and again. This is just the cycle that they're stuck in. And it's just chaos in the book of Judges when we studied it. There's internal political conflict and division. There's threats from foreign nations. There's moral corruption. There's violence and oppression. There's racial tension. There's immigrant injustice. There's idol worship. And as this whole uh, spin cycle of just chaos is happening, right? We have this book of we have this book of Ruth kind of coming alongside, and the watermark, the base note behind all of it, is the hesed, the love, the goodness of Yahweh, right? So the, this chaos is happening, and yet right alongside of it, right into it, God's telling and, and giving us this beautiful, beautiful story of His love, of His purpose, of His salvation, of His redemption. And as Yahweh does that, right, as we look at Yahweh kind of giving us this book, as God gives us that book, we just looked at our current time. Is there internal political conflict and division? Yes. Is there threats from foreign nation? Yes. Is there moral corruption and violence? Or moral corruption? Yes. Is there violence and oppression? Yes. Racial tension? Yes. Immigrant injustice? Yes. Idol worship? Are all these things happening right now? And yet... We have this book of Ruth that we studied, that we engaged, and we're reminded of the hesed, of the goodness of God, the providence of God, the salvation of Yahweh, right? So often we get caught up and we just live in, a, in just a tornado of news stories, right? Of outrage, of, of this headline and that headline. And sometimes it's okay to look at that and, and study it and learn from it. Sometimes we need to look at what's behind all of that. The providence, the hesed, the goodness, the love of Yahweh. And to say, God, you're still, in the midst of all this chaos, still in control. Jesus, again, his words, don't get lost in despair. It's so easy to get lost in despair. It's so easy to get lost in, in just you just give up. And believe in God and keep on believing in me. There's donuts and coffee out on the patio if you just want to get a quick snack. No, I'm just kidding. We're at the intermission moment here. Anybody want to say anything about those teachings? Any, any thoughts? Halfway home? Let's go. Let's finish this up and then you guys are going to have a little time to, to do your thing as well. We jumped into the book of Esther, and then here's the Persian Empire. It was quite small as, as uh, Xerxes ruled, but uh, that was a joke. I don't know if you got that, but he had a massive, massive empire, right? We talked about this city, and this city, Susa, keeps getting mentioned in the book of Esther. Uh, it's about 500 years, six, 700 years, more or less, after the book of Ruth, right? So uh, the Israelites have been exiled from kind of from their homeland right here. And they're spread out all over this Persian Empire, Babylon, 
Babylon, actually Persia has conquered Babylon. There's all sorts of uh, chaos going on in, in the Middle East. And we opened up with the ruler of this kingdom, Mr. Xerxes himself. And I did a lowercase k in, in all of this stuff. Um, and you'll kind of notice a different, or you'll notice a different k's in this. And King Xerxes, we just notice the absurdity of his kingdom, right? King Xerxes kind of comes onto the scene and he just loves to put his wealth on display. He's rolling with gold couches, um, these expensive, uh, incredibly expensive linens with gold rings. Um, There's just wine and gold goblets and everything's just on display. He wants complete control, so he's legislating to people. Um, You know, I I invited y'all over to my house afterwards. And, you know, if you guys come over to my house and I say, well, here's how you're going to drink this afternoon. You are going to have one glass of water, and then after you have that one glass of water, you may have a soda, and then if you have one soda after... So there's just kind of this... And this is what he does. He's, he's legislating to people how to, how, to, how to drink and how to enjoy themselves. He makes sexual demands on his wife Vashti. Um, mentally, emotionally, relationally, he's just an infant. Um, he's going all, to... All, the whole kingdom will, will fall apart because... Women won't respect men, right? And I'm going to make a law that makes women respect men. The guy's just, he's just kind of lost. And as you just examine the absurdity of his kingdom, right? The sad, logical end of this. It makes us long for a different kingdom and a better king, right? So we introduce to Xerxes. We then roll into Mordecai and Esther, um, and they're compromised. When we encounter them at the very beginning of the narrative, they're very compromised. They've both taken on these pagan names. Neither have returned to Jerusalem like many other have. Nehemiah has already led this return back to Jerusalem as they've been exiled. They're allowed to go back. Nobody's returned to Jerusalem. Mordecai is living in the palace, the citadel. He somehow has proximity to the king. He does nothing to protect his niece. Remember, Xerxes says, hey, let's have a beauty contest, right? Or it's actually a, kind of a sex contest, right? And let's have this sex contest to see who's going to be my new queen, right? And so he does nothing. If you, if you have proximity, I'm thinking, okay, like I'm going to hide her. I'm going to stash her in a cave. I'll do anything. Um, Esther does nothing to stand up to the king. We have these narratives in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up to um, King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel stands up. She participates in the customs and foods of Persia. She rises to her high position Again, not by obedience to the law, like Joseph when he refused Potiphar's wife, but through sex, beauty, as if the ends justify the means. So, they're, again, they're incredibly compromised at the beginning of this narrative. They both begin to rediscover their Jewish identity. They both begin to draw these lines in the sand. Um, Mordecai refuses to bow. This is kind of his turning moment. Right? Mordecai says, I'm not going to bow to Haman. Now, why does he refuse to bow? Is it this historical piece that Haman is an Agite? He's an Amalekite. The Amalekites were the ones who, um, as the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, they were the ones who would attack from behind the weak, the children, the elderly, the sick, and they would just begin to pick off all those people. And there's this history between God saying, these people are my enemies. You're supposed to wipe them out. Saul was supposed to wipe them out. Um, so there's this kind of all this historical aspect. Was this this historical aspect why he doesn't bow? Is it because of a, a lack of reward for saving Xerxes, right? 
Mordecai saves Xerxes from an assassination plot, and somehow Haman ends up second in command, right? So is there this kind of lack of reward for saving Xerxes and, and Haman's, I'm sorry, Mordecai's angry or bitter or doesn't, is it due to the consolation of power? All power gets consolidated in, in, in to Haman, right? And so maybe he sees this, but again, he just draws a line in the sand. He says, I'm not going to bow. We, we did a meditation on that that morning. We just said, okay, Lord, where are those areas in my life where I've compromised? Where are those areas in my life where I've gone too far? Um, Cosper says this. This is a quote I used a couple weeks ago, but he says, Mordecai and Esther were not the only assimilated Jews in the, yes, in the empire. The cultural gravity pulled every Jew toward assimilation. We talked about that um, holiday of Purim. This holiday of Purim, writ large, is a celebration of the kind of awakening, this line in the sand that Mordecai and Esther experience. This whole book of Esther is all about this Jewish holiday of Purim. And it is about this awakening, this line in the sand that they draw. So we have that with Mordecai and Esther. And then we talked about Esther. And this, this week we just went, we did that kind of paragraph by paragraph. We just looked at um, Esther. In, in chapter four, this is all just paragraph by paragraph. She, her first words, like one of her first edicts as a queen was to call a fast, right? I want my people to fast. And we talked about fasting in response to tra- tragedy Where sometimes when we think about fasting, prayer and fasting, like fasting is a way to show that we're really serious to try and convince God. The Jews specifically in the Old Testament often would use fasting in response to tragedy. I think as we went through this series, this little guy, Hat Hatch, this eunuch, became my favorite character of all of them. And Hat Hatch is just this kind of obscure, insignificant messenger that just goes back between Ruth and Mordecai, relaying messages back and forth. And we talk about this without this little boy, Hat Hatch, or I don't even know if he was a boy, he could have been a man, but without this little eunuch, Hat Hatch, going back and forth, right? The story, the narrative kind of breaks down and God uses him and he's mentioned Hat Hatch, God has this message and Hat Hatch has this message. And God just uses obscure, insignificant folks for crucial tasks and decisive moments. A lot of times we feel that about our lives. Um, It could be, we just feel insignificant, we feel depressed, we feel a little bit of despair. And yet if we just say, okay, God, if you can use this little eunuch going back and forth, using just sharing messages, you can use me. Esther really wrestles with her identity in this chapter. She awakens to her Jewishness. Mordecai calls her for such a time as this. Esther says, if I die, I die. And it's this life and death decision. And I use the C.S. Lewis quote where it's not always these huge life and death decisions. A lot of times it's just the small things, the small decisions that make the difference. Um, So that was Esther. Haman, we talked about how to ruin your life. I will save you. My book cover joke for the 15th time, I think that I've used that. But if you want that, I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. You can frame it or do something nice with it. Got, I got no jokes today, you guys. I got just nothing. I got nothing. I just, um, Haman, we did talk about. And we just kind of looked at the obviously the opposite of how to ruin your life. So we just talked about worshiping Jesus and Jesus alone. Um, David Foster Wallace was the one who talked about anything else that you worship will end up consuming you, will end up eating you alive, right? Haman, what does he worship? He worships his power, his prestige, his money, his family, his sons, um, his status in the government. And it ends up, again, 
He's number two, top, has all the money in the world, has it all. And he goes from the top to the bottom. He just destroys his life. We talked about contentment. He has all those things. And the Bible says, but he couldn't enjoy them because Mordecai would not bow down to him, right? We have so much in life and how much are we always thinking, oh, but if I just had that one more thing. Oh, but if just that thing would happen. And we just had that little prayer. I don't know if you've been praying it. I pray it as it comes to mind. I try and wake up just thinking, Jesus, just help me be content today with all you've given me, right? And then we talked about bearing fruit. Haman, we looked at Proverbs 6, that list of what God hates. God hates proud eyes, a lying tongue, killing hands, wicked schemes of the heart, feet of evil, false witness, the tongue. Like the entire disposition of Haman is kind of against God. And we compared that list with the New Testament list of bearing fruit. Uh, that beautiful, beautiful verse in Galatians. And here's a, a paraphrase of it. The fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows. Peace that subdues. Patience that endures. Kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Um, that's about it. That's about all four, or both books combined. We're in the middle of the 70 days of prayer. Um, and what I want to do too is I want to give us some space again, as I've said all these words and done all these teachings and maybe some have jogged a few memories in you and maybe you've kind of flashed back to something that might have been significant to you. I want to give you some space to press into that a little bit. Um, here's a couple prompts for you as you think about what to do or how to move from this space or even stay in this space. If you want to read and you want to just spend some time rereading a certain portion of the Ruth or Esther narrative that was impactful for you. Maybe there's a, a portion that you want to just go back and look at. Or just read the book of Ruth. I don't know if you'd have enough time to get through Esther, but if you just want to read one of those, those uh, paragraph sections, books. Um, so spend some time reading. If you want to meditate. If you want to sit quietly in here, um, palms up, asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And direct you in light of what we've learned, right? And you just kind of sit here, Holy Spirit, I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to speak to you. I just want to be silent in your presence. That was a nice thing about as we were opening up in prayer, we just had a few moments of that. Maybe you want a little bit more of that just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If you want to pray, if you want to review the text messages that are on your phone and continue to pray over a specific aspect of the church, maybe there is a person that the Lord had laid on your heart Maybe there's an area of your life that you need to bring before the Lord, a time of confession, a time of thanksgiving, um, a time of just praying over other people. So if you want to go spend some pray, um, and if you want to walk, uh, if you want to take, this is like my jam, I love to go take a walk and pray. If you want to take a lap or two around the park, and you just imagine Jesus is walking right with you, what would he say to you in this season? Well, what might he say to you in light of these teachings the last one is the what, the why, the response. Jesus, what has fallen on my ear this morning? What's kind of jogged my memory? What's kind of been impactful to me? And you write that down. This is a good thing, like kind of a, almost like a journaling exercise. 
Um, wh what was it about these teachings that was most significant to me? Now, God, why would that be significant in my life phase? Why are you bringing this to my attention here and now? And then you write a response to the Lord. Okay, Lord, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. So there's about five options for you. You can do that in here. Um, you can go outside. It's beautiful outside. I feel like it's gotten cold in here. When, we, when I walked in here this morning, it was sauna hot. Like, no joke. I had to figure out how to turn on the air conditioning. It was so hot in here. Um, so if you need to go out and get some sunshine and warm up a little bit, I can just feel it on my fingers getting a little cold, too. You can feel free to do that. But we'll spend 15 minutes. So it's 11 o'clock, and you can come back here at 11.15. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to sing some songs together. We're going to worship the Lord through song. We're going to worship the Lord through Eucharist. Um, but this is your time. The most important thing that I can do as a pastor is for you to hear the voice of the Lord and to respond appropriately. That's all I, that's all I care about, right? So I want you to go do this, engage this. Um, this is the most important thing that you'll probably do for sure this entire day, if not this entire week. Um, but go spend some time here. If you just are comfortable here, I'll try and turn the AC down or turn it off a little bit. Those poor kids back there probably have parkas on. <laughs> it gets so cool and not in that room. Um, and just spend some time. Come back in 15 minutes. Anybody got any questions? Are we good?